0: Welcome to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. Shep will talk with some of the smartest thinkers in business to help make you more successful in your professional and personal life. This is Amazing Business Radio with Shep Hyken.
1: Shep Hyken here on Amazing Business Radio, and I am so excited that we have Stacy Techner in the room today. And he and I are going to talk about The speaking business, the speaking industry, and why speaking, no matter what you do in your world, as far as telling a story and and making a compelling case for something, is important. So Stacy has an interesting background. He has been managing associations for basically his entire career, either part of the association or moving into management. Uh, He started out in California and a few other associations, but for the last 22 plus years, He has been with the National Speakers Association, and uh, that's NSA. That's the acronym, but it's the NSA, the people that talk, not the people that listen. He is currently the CEO. He's held that position for a number of years. He's got a lot of ideas to share with us. Stacy, welcome to Amazing Business Radio.
2: Thanks, Shep. It's a pleasure to be with you today.
1: Well, I'm glad you're here. And let's just start with your background because I always like to warm up and get into the meat. And by the way, the meat for me, and I know we're going to get to it, uh, there's going to be a lot of lessons along the way, but the big payoff here is when we start talking about the story the compelling story that you make for your case, whether it be something you sell, whether it be going into the boss and asking for a promotion, whether it be an idea you wanna bring to the boardroom, whether it be an idea you wanna share with your team, it's always about telling stories. So we're gonna get to that in a little while, but first, you're the CEO of NSA, how did you get there?
2: Uh, Interesting story, back in the days before we even had the internet, um, newspaper ad happened to come out, and this company called NSA was looking for someone to come in and work with them. And I said, told my wife, this would be an interesting opportunity for us, and let me just go see what they are. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. So every time that I thought that... Um, it was getting a little boring. Another new speaker came in, or something new and exciting in the speaking industry happened, and I got a new opportunity to advance, and it eventually led me to a CEO position.
1: So we'll talk about what the National Speakers Association is. It's primarily an organization that's focused on people who speak professionally or aspire to speak professionally. They have a program for those folks as well. And by the way, if anybody's interested, the website is nsaspeaker.org nsaspeaker.org. So if you've ever thought of wanting to get into the business or you're currently in it and you say, I want to learn more about an industry which has meetings, conferences, educational events, networking, so there's a great community there, this is the place to go. But uh, you started out, and, and and to tell you what NSA is, you, you know the interesting characters and speakers that you meet, Norman Vincent Peale was a member of NSA? Yes. Uh, Zig Ziglar one of the greatest motivational speakers of all time. Absolutely. One of our best and biggest supporters. And oh boy it's you know I, I it's a shame the late Zig Ziglar now when I first got into this business in 1983 I saw a guy named Zig Ziglar and another guy named Tom Hopkins do a program in St. Louis, Missouri at the Sheraton Hotel which is now where the uh, big uh, football dome is <laughs> the dome stadium they they tore it down and I said wow I was motivated I set goals that was a turning point in my life and for the longest time that's what the Speakers Association was about motivational type speakers you had Cabot Robert was the founder right yes. and, and the story behind that
2: Yeah. Cavett was in his 60s, and this this is a good lesson for anybody who wants to speak. It's never too late to start. Um, In his 60s, after a couple of other successful careers, got together with Norman Vincent Peale, Zig, a lot of those folks in the early days of speaking, and said, we need to do something to create a bigger pie and make people more aware so that we all get a bigger slice of this pie, as opposed to competing with one another all the time. And uh, about 42 years ago, they got together in Phoenix, Arizona on a nice July day, and they put together the, the first sales seminar on how we can sell more and make more money speaking.
1: Wow. So it was it was like the first professional industry meeting was 42 years ago. Yes. Wow. Now, and, and back then, I know the, the platform was get on a stage and talk to a large audience and sell them. Uh, books and at the time record albums in the That's back right. of the room. <laughs> That's right.
2: We we still have record albums in our headquarters archives today um, that they would sell from the back of the room.
1: Wow. Obviously, recordings today it's, it's of a their lot speeches. different today. Yeah, you don't even need. Uh, you don't even. Some of us still put them on CDs, but really, it's all on the internet. You know, it's all streamed live. Yes. Love the Internet. So that's a background on who some of these speakers are. And today, the people that come into the association, uh, some of them are full-time professional speakers. Some are salespeople that actually, while they they do presentations, and in a sense, they do them professionally because they get up in front of groups. Some are uh, executives who come in that recognize that they've got to be really strong at speaking in front of their their uh, own employees, uh, an industry meeting. Uh, Perhaps it's a stockbroker that goes out and does seminars and actually has to learn how to promote the seminar and speak at the seminar. And so the NSA helps all of these people do all of these things, yes?
2: That's correct, and most of them are coming, Chef, as you said, with a certain level of expertise. And so they bring that expertise to the table. And then they become eloquent in how they express that expertise. And for those who then want to go on to the next level, they turn it into a business or an enterprise. Right. Um, so they they then turn they turn it into beyond what they whatever they're currently communicating a business of their own.
1: And some of the folks uh, and I know you want to be a, aspire to be a professional member, but not everybody at NSA or a member of NSA. And and I've been a member now uh, for. Gosh, twenty six, twenty seven years. Uh, not every member of NSA actually speaks full time. They can be a consultant. They could be a, an attorney. As a matter of fact, I know we're going to see a gentleman later today who's actually an attorney and does a great job in his legal business and has created a curriculum for lawyers for continuing education. And that's his version of the speaking business. And he's every bit a professional speaker. Somebody that actually just is what you would term the motivational speaker that gets up on stage that's paid big money. Uh, there are some people that. Speak in in boardrooms, ten fifteen people, kind of as a consulting or uh, special project work. Those professional speakers. So I, I don't. Uh, I hope people listening are recognizing now that the uh, typical speaker is not a typical speaker per se. A, I don't know if you can define that. That's as right. It's typical anymore.
2: Well, I think you have to realize today that. Um, speaking is not just keynoting in front of large audiences, but it's like you said, it's the small audience. For some people, professional speaking is having a full-time job as a spokesperson for a company and getting out and telling the company story. And we have those people that are members of our organization, as well as the entrepreneur who is you know, created their own business as well.
1: So that employee is actually paid by the company to just represent the company. And I can give you examples. Disney is a great example of this. Zappos is a great example. Both of these companies have been so wildly successful and everybody wants to know what the secret sauce is in these companies. And they've actually created curriculum that they've hired people and their employees of Disney to go out and deliver presentations about how Disney does their thing. Zappos.com does the same thing. Tony Shea was extremely successful, and here's a CEO of a major company that decided, you know what, I'm going to write a book about this. And he wrote a book about uh, delivering happiness, and he is a very, very popular, well-paid speaker, by the way, yet he's still a CEO, and he has many people working for him that actually go out and deliver the message. And these people, in my mind, and I've watched some of these people that are employees of Zappos, and by the way, they go and they do their speech and they go right back to their regular job that they do at Zappos, be it in the marketing department, fulfillment, you know, customer service, whatever, yet one of the things they enjoy doing and their strengths is to go out and deliver. So uh, a speech that would tell the story, and I think that's, we're gonna talk about telling the story in a little while, but I think that's really, really cool, is that you don't have to be that professional speaker. By the way, most scary thing in the world? Speaking in front of an Speaking audience. Speaking in front of an audience, yet here we are, we've created an industry. <laughs> and I don't know if that's, is that really true or is that just, uh, you know? Uh,
2: you know, it, it. I think it was true when the book of lists was believed a lot more than it is. Maybe today Wikipedia may not say the same exact thing about the
1: scariest thing in the world, uh, especially in the world we live in. Oh, I know. I mean, I could think of, of going to the dentist and having a root canal. That scares me, and uh, I, that scares you because you couldn't speak afterwards. Oh, there you go. That's what it is. <laughs> That's great. Bungee jumping, jumping out of an airplane. Uh, you know that to me is scary. Snakes. I'm scared of snakes.
2: I think everybody should be scared of snakes. These are creatures that move around with no
1: legs, and I still don't know how it works. Well, I know some people that you would refer to as a snake, but that, that's another story. <laughs> but they story. have legs. Right. So we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to talk more about uh, telling the story and why I think it's important that everybody think of themselves as a speaker. Not necessarily a professional speaker, but recognize that speaking, and it's not just talking, but actual the idea of speaking, a planned prepared, if you will, presentation is important in anybody's job, anybody's career, doesn't matter. We'll be right back. This is amazing business radio on CBS and Play It. My name's Chef Hyken. We're talking with Stacey Tetchner, the CEO of the National Speakers Association. We'll be right back.
0: Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. You're listening to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken.
1: Shep Hyken here, back on Amazing Business Radio on CBS and Play It. We're with Stacy Techner of the National Speakers Association. Stacy, you know, we've talked a little bit about your background and we've talked, oh, we've, we've had a good chat thus far. Let's talk about, really, your really far-back background. I mean, you and I, I may be a little bit older than you. We're not too far apart in age. I remember growing up, I went to school. It was a regular school. There was probably 25, 30 kids in my class. Uh, how many kids were in your class at school? One. One. So one. Seriously, I, so just one. I, seriously. I, I, I know it was a small school. That's right. I
2: went to a small school. I grew up in Nebraska. Um, in, in the sand hills of Nebraska, we had a number of rural schools. And so I went to a one-room schoolhouse, much like you would have seen on Little House on the Prairie, if you ever saw that show. And so we had kindergarten through sixth grade, all in one room, all with one teacher, and uh, as I progressed through those grades, you know, there obviously you have some things that you, you would deal that are grade-specific, but otherwise, if you're learning to write, everybody's learning to write on the same chalkboard. It, it was an amazing experience that I wouldn't trade for anything, and yet I don't think exists very often today. No, it doesn't. So how many kids went to that school, kindergarten through sixth grade? We had... At our height, when farming season wasn't in, we would have 16 kids in the in the one classroom. 16
1: kids in a cl- wow, that's amazing,
2: and that's quite a juggling act for the teacher. It was, amazing teachers that could do amazing things with none of the technology we have today. Right, and w- high school, what was that like? High school, so once you were done in a rural community like that, you got to seventh grade, and you went to what we called the town school. Um, a junior-senior high school. And um, at that level, then I did a lot like you. I had 20 kids in the same grade. Okay.
1: Um, yeah, well, by the time I got to high school, there were a few more kids. Yeah. But, yeah, it's still, I get the idea. That's pretty cool. And how did a little mouse like you get to the big city? Well, I, I was fortunate enough that
2: my parents had bigger dreams, and when I turned 16, they decided to move to Arizona. So when I was a junior in high school, I moved to a school where my graduating class was 550. Oh, wow. So, um, Big. But that also afforded me at that point in my life some really incredible opportunities, one of them being with the Close-Up Foundation. Um, they sponsored me to go to Washington, D.C. So this little mouse did go all the way from his small town um, to visit Washington, D.C., but for a week-long government studies program, which opened my eyes to associations and other opportunities in politics and other areas um, that I, I saw as a small little Nebraska boy. Which and how old I were you when you went there?
1: I was sixteen years old. Sixteen years old. You go to the big city, eyes wide open. I bet you had fun that week. I had the most amazing. Time. <laughs> I bet you I did. I had uh, the most amazing. Probably can't talk some, about how much fun Some stories we're had. not
2: going to share, right? But um, it, I will say that it was the experience of a lifetime and the changing experience of a lifetime that really opened my eyes to to know what really does exist in the world, and um, some things you want to know, some of the things you don't want to know.
1: That's fun, yeah, as a parent, you definitely don't want to know them, That's but right. you know what, you grew up to be fantastic, Cloud. to be amazing. So you're now uh, CEO of the National Speakers Association, which means you run this organization from the standpoint of you've got an incredible staff that works with you, uh, you've got a board of directors uh, who advises, uh, the member. it's a member-advised uh, advised, uh Association, right. And, and you pretty much manage this thing and, and run it, and you're doing a great job. Hiring professional speakers, which is an interesting thing. And now, if anybody knows who I am, they know I'm a professional speaker. I'm an author. Uh, it, that's the type of thing that I do. But I want to hear it from you because I don't want it to sound like a sales pitch. And it's not, okay? But But a lot of people have asked me, so how do you go about hiring a professional speaker? Where do you find them? Where do you get them? How do you know you're getting somebody good?
2: Well, and it all goes back to looking at the reason why are you having a meeting that you want to bring a speaker in in the first place. And if you're going to invest the time and money and resources into those meetings, and you have to think beyond not just what kind of check am I writing for this or that, every employee or every customer that you're putting in that room, that's dollars. That's an investment of dollars. So you look at the the size of that meeting and the size of investment you're making, why would you not put the best motivator, the best teachers, the best experts in front of those people to get the best return on your investment?
1: Right, and you use the word motivator. My philosophy is every speaker, regardless of what they talk on, you can hire somebody to come in and talk on sales. They can talk on global warming if that's of interest to the audience. They need to be motivating in the sense of making me want to do something. They don't have to be that, like, motivational speaker. We talked about Zig Ziglar, who I term a Zig Ziglar or today the Tony Robbins of the world. Those people are, are personal development, motivational-type speakers. Me, I'm a customer service guy, so I just talk about customer service. But my style is one that would hopefully get people to want to take action. I think that's one of the things you're talking about, motivating but also educational and expert and 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 why wouldn't you want to do it? Some of them are very expensive. Uh, does the investment pay off?
2: The investment does pay off, and uh, you just have to look at it in results. You have to start with a clear vision. What do we want to accomplish at this meeting? And then look at how are we spending the resources going into this meeting. Let's let's take an example. You have a meeting, you want to entertain everybody and have a good time, and possibly at a dinner. Um, at that dinner, most meeting planners want to have a great dessert, finish on a high, and they'll spend a good good amount to have a good dessert to send everybody off, yet they'll also scrimp and save and try to put an industry expert that's a free speaker up in front of everybody, and um, the next day, let, let's look at what, what are the results. Well, everybody probably packed on a few extra pounds and calories, Um they're probably not going to remember the dessert the next morning, though. However, if you put a bad speaker in front of everyone and they don't learn anything because you're, you're cutting corners and trying to do something for free or for very little investment, you're, they're going to remember the bad speaker. In fact, they'll probably talk about the bad speaker all the way till the next year's meeting when they come together again and say, I wonder if they'll have another bad speaker. But if they made an investment in a professional speaker,
1: much better return. All right, So, and, and of course, I'm biased uh, as a professional speaker. And, and by the way, they, not will, they will not only talk about it. They will tweet about it. They'll post it on Facebook, and they'll let everybody that wasn't there, who was even thinking about going and contemplating going next year, know about it. I think that there is a place for the free speaker, for the industry expert. And that's why when you go to many different places, Programs, I love hearing real world examples from executives or people in the trenches. So there may be a forum and a place on a presentation or a panel or, or on the platform for that industry speaker. However, what's the goal of having a professional? Why would you want to do that? And Some of the professional speakers, and you'd call them professional based on what they're charging, that doesn't necessarily mean they're always professional. They could be an athlete. They could be uh, a TV star. Uh, today, Kevin Spacey is recognized as one of the very, not not just one of the highest paid speakers, and we don't know him as a speaker. We know him as an actor, but he is a phenomenal speaker. Every time he comes off stage, his ratings are sky high, and it's not because he's Kevin Spacey, and this is what's fascinating. Because there's other speakers, other celebrities, that they show up, and basically they're they're just checking it in. I mean, they're not putting forth the effort. And you, you know, it's a fun and entertaining story. Kevin has content. As a matter of fact, one of the talk, things he talks about is content creation, telling the story, which we're going to get into in just a mm-hmm. little while. But what I, I love about that, and I'll go back, uh, Terry Bradshaw, who you might know from sports, and he played for Pittsburgh is a football player, quarterback, has lots of Super Bowl rings. And you watch him on TV, and he is so darn entertaining. And people hire him at pretty big money to come out and speak. Well, not that many years ago, he and I were speaking at some of the same conferences, and our fees were comparable at the time. Uh, obviously, it's grown; uh, his has grown tremendously. But this is what I noticed about Terry Bradshaw, because I did a lot of work with. With, uh, I, I jokingly say I I spoke anywhere that sold beer. And it's not because I drank a lot of beer. It's because one of my sponsors to go out and speak was Anheuser-Busch. And I would go out there, and then the other breweries or the other uh, beverage companies, if I went to a grocery store convention, there could be Coca-Cola. It could be Pepsi-Cola. It could be uh, Miller Brewing. You know, it didn't matter. They were sending speakers as well, and some of those speakers were celebrity athletes. And I noticed that they were just coming in, reading a speech that somebody prepared. But Terry Bradshaw would study who his audience was, would learn about uh, what they wanted to hear about, and he would craft a presentation that was just amazing. Fran Tarkington did the same thing. Uh, Fran's Fra- an amazing—
2: Fran an incredible speaking business after his, his yeah. athletic career. Yeah,
1: he ends uh, as a quarterback uh, playing in Minnesota. I think he also played uh, for uh, Green Bay. If I'm not mistaken, he goes on. He does some TV work. I remember him as a kid on That's Incredible, and I remind him of that, and he kind of rolls his eyes every once in a while. He's a phenomenal speaker, a phenomenal entrepreneur, and a businessman, and people pay him big money to come and hear his expertise. Would he call himself a full-time professional speaker? I highly doubt it. But he's a paid professional, and I think uh, so. Why does a Why does a, a meeting planner or a company decide I want a speaker? They want they want entertainment. They want to draw to their meeting. Uh, well, it all depends on what's the purpose of their meeting. It, it, you know,
2: we, we've heard the, the book, The Purpose Driven Life. How about the purpose driven meeting? What are we having happen at that meeting and what outcome do we want? Do we want, like I said, is it motivation? Is it, is it a product rollout? Is it an opportunity for a group of people to interact with someone that they normally wouldn't get a chance to interact with? All of those things, but there is an outcome, and that's why they would hire a speaker. And if, if they don't bring in a professional to do that, you're not always guaranteed what results you're going to get for the, from the investment that you're making in the rest of the meeting.
1: So the reason to bring in the professional, uh, the, whether they're a true full-time pro or somebody that you're paying professionally to show up, a number of different reasons. I always ask my clients, I'm going to ask you a simple question. It has three parts, the answer does. And that is, what are the three things you want this audience to walk away with? Now, some clients will say, I want them to be entertained. I want them to be motivated. I want them to be thinking. And others will say, I specifically want this to happen. I want them to walk away with tangible ideas. Another client might say, I really only have one reason that you're here. And that is because I believe that you'll, put, you'll bring more people to this conference than if we didn't have someone like you. So those are totally different reasons. That's right. Yeah. But each of those reasons
2: is important in its own right Right. so that you know how to craft your message. And as a professional,
1: you know how to craft a message to achieve those outcomes. And I would suggest to anybody that's hiring speakers to take note here because no matter who you hire and for what reason, and you might spend 50000 $75,000 on a celebrity-type speaker— I think you need to sit down with that speaker and make sure that they are in total alignment with what your goals are for their piece. You don't want them coming in and doing just a generic speech that might not resonate with the audience. Sure, they may be a big name draw, but when people walk away, if they're not happy, regardless of what you paid and regardless of how big the name is, people are going to say, boy, I hope we don't have to sit through one of those again.
2: That's right, if they even sit through it. you know The, the, the law of two feet today... I was at a meeting recently where a big-name celebrity came in whose voice everyone would recognize, and they said, I could listen to him read the phone book. Well, we would have rather heard him read the phone book because that day he tried something that wasn't even relevant to that audience. The meeting planner had not prepped him before he came in. This was a room of about 4,500 people, and when he got done speaking, maybe 1,500 people left in the room. 1,500 people left in the middle, and and you don't think this guy may have noticed it. And and even if he did notice it, he's a celebrity, uh, uh, which is a different level than a professional speaker. Um, This isn't what he does typically. And so even though they made the investment, the planners didn't ask the right questions up front. It's just as important if you're coming in as a professional speaker. Even if they're not asking you the questions, you need to ask them the questions, just like you do every time with your three questions. Right,
1: and then you've got guys like Terry Bradshaw that just say, okay, uh, I I know why you're having me here. Let's make sure we're in sync and and work very, very hard to make it work. It's hugely important. All right, I promise we're going to talk about storytelling and why it's important to anybody in any business, in any job, in any responsibility, and we're going to get to that in just a moment. But we're going to take a really quick break, so don't go away. We've been talking with Stacy Tetchner. This is Shep Hyken on Amazing Business Radio. We'll be right back.
0: Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. This is Amazing Business
1: Radio with Shep Hyken. Shep Hyken here back on Amazing Business Radio with Stacey Techner. And we are going to do what we promised to do, and that's talk about storytelling. And, and we're not going to get into the nuances of crafting the story. That's a whole other topic for a whole other day. And I think that would be of interest to everybody. But what we're going to talk about now is why everybody, in a sense, is a speaker. Maybe not a professional speaker, but they are a speaker. And that doesn't mean just because they talk.
2: That's right. Well, you know, in our whether we're in our personal lives or our business lives, we're all in the communications business, um, and we're all probably trying to sell something. So what's the old adage, Shep? It's no one makes money until something gets sold. So I would offer that no one sells anything until someone says something. Okay. So, you so here's
1: th- how I it is. Nobody makes money until something gets sold. Nobody sells anything until well, a story is told. told. There you go. Aren't you a poet? I, <laughs> well, wait, What is it? Three points in a poem. There no, you no, go. But no, that that's good. I like that. Uh, but to me, that means that we all
2: have to be the best communicators that we can be. Um, we owe that to our employer. We owe that to our family. We owe that to whoever it is. And one of the key uh, key strategies in communication and getting someone to understand is actually the power of telling a story. Don't underestimate. Well, look today at big brands. You mentioned earlier in the show, there are a lot of brands who have spokespeople out there, um, whether it's their CEO, whether it's their PR person, or, or a hired gun for that, uh, for that message that has to land with everybody else. Brand stories are just as important as commercials or anything else that are out there.
1: So a uh, company has to be able to communicate their story. You can do it a number of different ways. Uh, hire an ad agency to create the story that's going to go into an advertisement, and that's telling the story. you got to communicate that story to that agency. you got to make it clear. Uh, the agency has to, and in a sense, they're doing a speech. If you watch a 30-second ad, it may not be a speech per se, but there's a beginning, there's an end, there's a message, there's a call to action. And If you just look at that short little piece, isn't that what a speaker, especially a a spokesperson for a company, is doing? I have an association. It's an industry association. It could be the, uh, I don't know, let's pick one. Uh, Well, we talked about grocery store, the grocery store industry. And I would want to bring in maybe one of the most successful grocery store chains to talk about what's making them successful. How about this? How they're using social media to be successful in a grocery store. Now, that may not be of interest to most people listening to this show. But to the people in the grocery store industry, that's a really good topic. And so you bring in somebody, and I believe if they do it right, meaning the company does it right, they're going to send the right spokesperson who's going to tell a compelling story, who's going to do it well. I'm not going to say they're going to entertain them and make people laugh, but they're going to craft this message and be prepared enough in such a way that I think is going to at least engage the audience and keep them engaged. And uh, they're going to have a story and maybe even a call to action. Absolutely, and, and know that every point
2: is driven home even further with a story. So if you have a point as a communicator, um, certainly state the point But then wrap a story around it so that it becomes real and i'll guarantee you not everybody in your audience is going to hear the same story that you're telling but because they're going to then personalize it they're going to start their own dialogue in their own mind on what does that story mean to me oh that's like aunt edna back on the on the farm that taught at the one that the one room schoolhouse and then i could wrap that all around the story Um, And people start to personalize that and say, oh, I had an Aunt Edna, and she did something similar. My grandfather did something similar. And it becomes real to them, and it's no longer about a commercial or a message being thrown at you um, from the stage. It is more about what is it
1: that made this real that I can put to work in my life. So I love that. And... I've been doing that, actually, for years. I've never heard it said quite that way. But, I mean, I know that I use a story to make a point, And I try to create a generic story as almost a metaphor for what I'm trying to communicate. So I tell the story about a taxi cab driver. And it's it's gotten funnier over the years because I think a professional speaker, part of their job is to, every time they tell the story, to make it a little bit better, yeah, maybe a little more entertaining, maybe embellish it a little. And, and the truth be told, my my taxi cab story is 100% true, but there's, I just created laugh lines. But what I've learned is exactly what you're saying. My goal is to communicate you need to be better at customer service. You can have a moment of misery. You can have a moment of magic. And I'm going to talk about all the steps that make that happen. And let me tell you the story about a taxi cab driver. And I talk about this story about a cab driver. And here's what people tell me. Everybody relates to it. I'll even go into an audience and I'll go, how many of you have been in a taxi cab before? Believe it or not, not everybody raises their hand. Sometimes, depending upon the age group, many people don't. I go, but you know what one is. So let's play word association. If I say the word taxi cab, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Is it a cab, a clean cab, or a dirty cab? (laughs) And everybody says, dirty or dirty cab. And if I say, what is the first city that comes to your mind if I say the word taxi cab? New York. New York City, exactly. These are from people who've never probably been in a cab, but they they can relate to it. And that's the hook in sales. That's the hook in communicating your story, your message. If you're going just to talk to your team and you want to com- create a compelling message, maybe it starts with a story that everybody can relate to, that everybody can hang their hat on and say, I get that, and it's making a point.
2: And- One of the most important points I want to make sure that your audience knows, too, that you hit is making sure that you have those generic stories as your base, as your foundation, that you know everybody can relate to. And then build it into something personal from there, but knowing that it's relatable. Because otherwise, if you talk about being, um, uh, let's just say, I don't know, a zookeeper. Is everybody going to relate to being a zookeeper? No, you've got to take it to the zoo experience, not not
1: the specific, yeah. what have I How many of you have been do? to a zoo before? That's right. Well, everybody's going to raise their hand. And uh, what do you know about a zoo? Well, what you might not know is what goes on behind the scenes of the zoo. And do you know what they call the person that runs the zoo? The zookeeper. The zookeeper. Now, we've just, in what? That's right. 15 seconds, educated that whole audience and we brought them to the zookeeper
2: that's right we brought them to the zoo and then to the zookeeper because the zoo was that generic space where they where most people know or at least know about that they can go in their mind and then you brought them to the zookeeper and all of a sudden they feel like they have an insider's look at the zoo and they're engaged and they're excited to hear
1: what you have to say yeah i love it and and i'm just my my head right now It's swarming with ideas of of how can I communicate this even further because uh, I want to use this technique even more so. And I've been doing it. And sometimes we do it unconsciously. Sometimes we just recognize, you know, uh, I've sat in on meetings and I love it when, you know, I know we're going to be talking about customer service. And this is what the person who's introducing me, before they even introduce me, they'll say, you know, I was flying here. Uh, this week as how many of you flew here? Everybody raises and of course we all did and and this was my experience on the airline We won't mention the name of the airline and and they tell an experience by the way The experience could be good or it can be bad It doesn't matter the point that this person's trying to make is you know This is an airline that took our money and didn't give us the experience that I think was good sure They got me here but I'm complaining on it, and there's no way I would fly on that airline again unless they were the only airline getting me where I wanted to go. Or they're saying, you know, this airline isn't like the other airlines I've flown on. They were terrific. They were tremendous. They did this, that, and the other. And people are all relating to it. Well, that's what our next speaker is going to talk about. And um, Stacy, ask me what I do for a living. Shep, what is it you do for a living? Funny you should ask. When somebody asks me what I do for a living... I don't tell them I'm a professional speaker who specializes in customer service and I write books. This is what I say. Have you ever been to a store or a restaurant or you've done business with somebody where when you walk away from the experience, you go, wow, that was amazing. Has that ever happened? Yes. Well, that's exactly what I do. I teach companies how to do that. And they go, really? Well, how do you do that? Well, I'm a speaker, a trainer, you know, and that's when I get into the direct part of it. I think that's what we're doing. We're setting up the story. That's right, and the important thing in in
2: what we've said as well is setting up the story and then telling the story, but not getting too into too many details of the story because you can also very quickly with that same story you can bore them you can bore them and lose them because let's go back to our zookeeper analogy then you don't want to jump straight into well here's what a zookeeper does and here's what we have to clean up after the animals and let me tell you about the time now why we're talking about the zookeeper is cleaning
1: up after the animals? yeah
2: but so you have to bring always keep it And, and i see this with salespeople all the time as well they come in they start to tell a story or they're trying to find that common ground to relate to me And then all of a sudden, they go into too much detail. And so as quickly as they got me, they lost me. So get on the point, tell the story, get on to the next point. How long do you take between making points in your programs?
1: What I try to do is, uh, how long do I take? Well, it depends on what point I'm trying to make, because sometimes we go a little deeper dive. Mm -hmm. And I, I actually sink a lot of content, more so than most, into it. But that's not about me. What's fascinating, and this is a cool thing, I just, uh, again, I totally forget about these things until I have somebody sitting across from me just you know, jarring my memory. Not even about a month or so ago, I was at a university and I was asked to come in and speak to an audience of leaders, corporate leaders that were there for a Saturday class on storytelling. And I said, I'm gonna tell you a speech, or I'm gonna tell you a speech, I'm gonna deliver a speech <laughs> and, and in the speech you're gonna hear stories. And I did the first 20 minutes of my regular speech. I had no idea. I, I, I had never counted up before. I just realized this is the pattern. This is, this is the point. These are the points I want to make, and here are the stories I'm going to tell. First thing I did is I opened with stats and facts and supported it with the story. Okay? Next thing I did is I talked about this concept that uh, on, in customer service that a gentleman came up with, and I told a story. Then I gave two more very specific examples of the good and bad of what that story is. So within a matter of about 8, 10 minutes, I've already told four stories. These people in the audience, they're forming an opinion of, the content forget about me but they're forming an opinion of the content we're doing it through storytelling when I was done uh, we went back and we didn't rehash every story but we said this is where I put the story here it is here it is and it was you know eight nine stories in a 20 minute period Uh, they weren't long stories they could be 35 40 second stories
2: but the, the the length of the story, the size of the story doesn't matter, Shep. Okay, uh, <laughs> we can say that on the air. <laughs> so, but size does matter. Yeah, that's, that's what I heard. A, uh, um, but but it is, it's it's about the point and how how can you reiterate the point, drive the point home. You know, if you're a training session, obviously you're probably going to take the point a lot deeper. If you're if you're doing a sales presentation, um, if you're doing a keynote or motivational speech, where you may only have thirty to forty minutes. You have to get onto the onto the point and yep. move on so Salespeople, um, brand brand people should be remembering the same thing. How long do I have you said when we started this segment, you talked about you have thirty seconds sometimes to tell a story sometimes you have thirty seconds to tell multiple stories about one product. You have to think in terms of how long do I have this audience because
1: right. it is all about the audience when you're done. You want to engage them, capture them, give them something that they could hang. A, you know, it's a hook to hang something on that personally that connects them and make your point move on. Exactly. So we have had a great time. We've been talking with Stacey Touchner, who is the CEO of the National Speakers Association. If anybody is interested in the professional speaking industry or just learning about it, because we have something called the Academy Program, which is for speakers that are aspiring to be professionals or part-time and just want to learn how to be a better presenter. Uh, we're not Toastmasters. And by the way, Toastmasters is an awesome organization. If you just want to learn how to be a better speaker, great. But if you want to start to monetize the message, figure out a way, to turn it into a business or um, reap the benefit that comes with speaking and creating the point from a standpoint of, of a business, the National Speakers Association is the place to go. It's nsaspeaker.org. That's www.nsaspeaker.org. My name's Chef Hyken. You've been listening to Amazing Business Radio. And Stacy, you've been an amazing guest. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll see you next time.